don't have any drama. Professional. So yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, so there is actually a theme here. Before that, then the day after that went live, I did one of these with TJ. Gravity Games? Oh, we'll get there. I'm kind of curious. I just want to ask how your day was going and how the how your day's been today. Uh, this whole week has been pretty slow um, with my daughter being sick. Yeah. So I've just kind of been with her hanging around the house. Um, and that's under contract. So anytime I need to meet a contractor or meet like the occupancy inspector or like um, if I had to do like a showing or something, like it's just right there. I just walk up the street. So that's been pretty good. So like I actually did, uh, <laughs> I left my, my sick daughter here. While I was like, I'm just going to be three doors up. I just got to go meet this, the, the code enforcement officer to do this uh, inspection. I'll be back in 20 minutes and like everything worked out. So, um, yeah, so it's just been kind of a slow day. Uh, I'm coming up on the fifth year anniversary of my cardiac arrest. Oh. So, um, during this time of year, I start to kind of like reflect back on those days in, uh, in Albuquerque and, you know, what my family and all my friends went through and, uh, so now I, I, having that memory really makes me appreciate. Absolutely. Good perspective. <clears throat> I gotta say, because a couple of people brought it up. Yes, this is my new set. I know excited. It's just, it's nice to not have to set anything up, tear stuff down and then be in a dedicated room for this. So yeah, I'm stoked. And I also wanted to start this thing off with a thank you to you. Because Boy. if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't be on SM Fit. Oh, okay. Hey, no problem, man. <laughs> yeah, because that podcast. Dairy guys, you're interviewing, uh, talking about Biz's uh, hop truck. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, you got a lot of good things going on now, Brand. Proud thank of you, man. Thank you. Shield and. I don't know. It's cool. And speaking of you and S&M and stuff, the, the MOD Doyle frames are currently available, right? Yeah, they they went all to uh, bike shops. And from what I know, they you know, they sold out the first batch. They only made, I think, 50 of them. Yeah. And then uh, that sold really fast. So they made another 50. And I think those are now hitting the shops. And they got a couple at the wheel mill mm. and I've been seeing people post like, so yeah, I'm stoked on it. I'm stoked on the bike and I'm stoked on all the feedback and I, I just can't wait to roll up to the park or the trails or some, some somewhere in the world. And like someone rolls up on that bike. Whoa, that's going to trip me up. Yeah. That's going to be really, really cool when that happens. So like, I don't know. I mean, you've had that experience before, haven't you? But like, I think a lot of the people that were most into my riding weren't going to ride a DK or a kink. Yeah. Like most of the people that were the, the big Chris Doyle fans, they all rode S and M's. You know, they'd be like, I don't know why. That's okay. I think there might be some weirdness going on with my internet too. So it's okay. Maybe you are the guinea pig. <laughs> I haven't gotten a hardwired connection yet from the internet stuff to my computer. So that might be part of this. And then now yeah. it's a thing. It really seemed like it was the product of 
social media and people just kind of fanning that flame. Oh yeah. Make something that was again, just supposed to be fun. Like I'll start getting flow from S and M and then everyone just got excited. Like Stu got excited. Muller got excited. Oh, let's have some, here's where it's at. And this is, here's where it's at. And this is, you know, that's the best way to do things, I think, especially in BMX. Oh yeah. And that's part of what's so cool about being an American brand right there where it's like, Oh, we want to make a Doyle frame and we're going to produce this thing. Guess what? We just throw it into production versus any kind of thing where you're dealing with overseas stuff. It's just a time delay there. So it makes it that much more like after the heat of the moment and just harder to make it happen. It all happens so fast. I mean, that all started taking place in like September of March. People are out there riding them right now. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's, I don't know. It's one of those things, your full circle moment in the... You're like, oh, we got to get the whole podium. And that was, that was like a turning point in, I think, my life was doing well at that contest because the biggest contests back then were X Games and Gravity Games. They were the big, you know, paying events mm. for us because, like, all the hype was around TJ and Ryan Nyquist and Corey Nastasio. No mm. one was talking about me or Aiken or Biz. Um, I think those were, like, the three biggest surprises with me, me, Aiken, and Biz all doing well because Aiken hadn't really done well at a big event either, and I think Aiken got fourth. Mm. So it was it was really like I think a big moment for all of us and I'd never seen that much prize money in my life. I went to get my check not knowing I knew TJ made a lot because I knew like uh first place was like something like twenty five grand. Jeez. Uh something crazy. And I was like, I wonder what second place is. But I got my check, it was eleven grand. So that's a Whoa. that's a big jump from first to second, but I like just quit going to college. Uh, I was I was making a living as a as a be that much money in one afternoon. I was like, this is insane. So it 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 really cemented the fact that I made the right decision. I really felt like I can hang with these guys um, because I had done them. And it's funny because I, uh, I was talking to one of the judges. I was talking to uh, Adam Booth who at the time was the editor of BMX plus. And I was like, man, so I got, I got second place. This is awesome. I was like, how close was I to winning? And he goes, dude, TJ beat you by like five points. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, TJ didn't just win, not knowing how to talk. And TJ was answering a question. And I don't know how he got on the subject, but he's like, man, I just, I just want to say that's so, so that sick. Was, that was such a cool moment for us. And, uh, you know, I, I keep saying us, and I'm saying me and biz. Cause like, that was like, I think he was going through the same thing I was going through. He was, he was doing the BMX thing. He was doing all right, but like just kind of getting by. And then mm. we're like, dude, how much money did you make? I made this much money. Like we were like tripping on it. And, uh, yeah. So, and I think that opened up a lot of doors for, for biz as well, who, you know, eventually got on Schwinn and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that was before or after he was, world champion dirt jumper but i don't know if he talked about that i don't think we did talk about that somehow that's pretty wild to think about just the trajectory changes of moments like that 
yeah, that, I mean, it could have been, if I was like a video writer, like I released, you know, a big bad video part or like, um, or so, but I was, I was a contest writer. I was a contest kid. And for the most part, I was like, you know, I'd get like fit either, you know, somewhere between fifth and 10th place. Mm -hmm. But, you know, something was different about that day. Like Nyquist couldn't put it together. Nast Nastasio couldn't put it together. But like me and Biz were like shining. And I remember in practice, like everyone was talking about how good Biz was riding because Biz was like tail upping mid pack. And that doesn't sound like a big deal now. But back then, if you could tail it in the middle of a section and just keep going, like that was a big deal. And he was like doing like tail up on the second one, tail up on the third one, and just had a lot of flow. And um, it, it, Biz isn't like known as a style guy, but he had rad style. Like in the 360 one-handed flatty that he did was like so mm. good. And um, yeah, I, Biz doesn't give himself enough credit as being like a very talented trail rider and dirt jumper because he's now like street dude. But that dude, yeah, he was very inspiring. Yeah, his he killed it there for sure. The three one-handed flatty you just mentioned, I that I can picture that from that video in my head right now. It was dialed. Um, I think he did a, a three whip as well, which again, not a not a big deal now, but well, he he ball rode the three whip, but <laughs> that was a big deal. The yeah. only guy that could even come close to the three whip in the dirt jumping uh, was TJ, and I think TJ even ball rode a little bit, but. Regardless, it, yes. Yeah, uh, I think TJ's was a little bit better than Biz's, from what I remember. Right. Um, did you see the run that I think Trey Jones posted where TJ goes up the step up and he lands no-handed? Oh, yeah. Like, like I, I don't know if we'll ever see that in an event again. That was pretty cool. Probably and, but, not. Um, TJ was, I think after that event, like, TJ and I got closer and um, TJ, and I said this before, but he was, or he is a much better friend to me than I have been to him. Because he's hooked me up in so many different ways. He put me in his video game. He has always gone out of his way to, like, plug me in some sort of way. He called me when I was in the hospital in Albuquerque. He calls me on my birthday. I'm like, dude, you are a way better friend to me than I am to you. And uh, he's always just, like, kind of hooked me up and, um, in the beginning, I, I was not a big TJ fan, but like he, you know, came through to be like one of my biggest supporters in, in dirt jumping. He seems like such a solid person just from that quick conversation that we had and having no prior experience with him. He definitely seems like a super solid person. Yeah. Um, very authentic, very, um, uh, my daughter's friends, other parents that we like hang out with now, uh, they're like, Hey, do you know TJ Lavin? And I'm like, yeah, he's <laughs> just a good friend of mine. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that, that show that he hosts, that's my favorite show. I'd love to meet him. I'm like, so I might get one of my friends, uh, to, I might have TJ FaceTimer. Oh man. That's um, on a birthday. Yeah. That is too good. And he'd probably, he'll do it. I hope so. I asked TJ during our uh, chat the same question, but I feel like you'll have a little bit different of an answer. But he was like 17 or something. He was young. He had That was the first year he got on Mosh. And I had known Aiken for a long time uh, prior to that. Like, 
him and I started going to contests around the same time. I might have started going to comps about a year before he did, and he was on Bully, mm. and he was just a small kid who was he was good, but he wasn't Mike Aiken yet. Like everyone liked him, and everyone you know thought he was rad, but like I don't know if anyone really saw it coming. Like yeah. oh that 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 kid's gonna be special, and eventually everyone's gonna want to ride like that kid. Like I didn't really think of him like that up until he had just gotten on mosh and they were doing this east coast trail trip for snap and him and i just happened to be in pittsburgh at the same time i didn't live here yet um he was on the snap trail trip i was visiting todd wakoviak here in pittsburgh and at every trail spot he was like the star of the show and he rode every day from like dawn till dusk like he was just like full of energy and it was pretty quiet didn't really say much but like everyone was talking about him and, and he's in pittsburgh like some of the best trail riders in the world like poon jab right. uh ground chuck uh who fuzzy was on that trip just a, a variety of different people that were all like dude this kid's he's got it and then i think it was like that next summer that we were both at gravity games and when he you know started doing well in contests but i don't know if anyone could have ever predicted like how great he was going to be i certainly didn't see it coming um and then he won a big event out in uh he won one of the huntington beach events which was just like a set of doubles i'm not not a set of doubles it was a set of quads just two sets yeah and he won that and i remember everyone was just like yeah aiken's like he's gonna be like the next big thing and Sure enough, he was. Everyone, like, it, it seemed like overnight everyone just started talking about how great Mike Aiken was going to be. But competing with him like in the early years, like I was like, oh, yeah, he's good, whatever. But then it was like, oh, he's going to be gnarly. And then he was, is. <laughs> no, hey, hey, Sebastian. You need to go back to bed. Dad Doyle. What? It's in mommy and daddy's room. Sorry, everyone. Uh, That's okay. So, yeah, I'd watched the the Aiken podcast that he did on Unclicked. Mm -hmm. And it was good. Um, But I I remember a time, I remember a Mike Aiken that like couldn't make a final when he was like riding for bully. We'd be at these contests and I could make finals and I'd get like 10th place. But I remember I, I was telling him, we we're sitting on the beach in Huntington beach. And he's, he's like bummed. He's like, man, I can't just keep coming to these contests and like not making finals. Like, do you know how hard it is to call my sponsor and tell them like, I didn't make finals again after they just like flown me here, you know, to California to compete and, I was like, yeah, man, that stinks, but you know, you're still young. <laughs> like, yeah. Trying to give him a pep talk. Like, if only I would have known. Like, hey, someday you're gonna be the best rider in the world, and everyone's gonna want to ride like you, dress like you, wear their hair like you, <laughs> uh, listen to the same music you listen to. Like, if only he had could have seen the impact that he was gonna have. Because uh, it was funny. I'd go to the skate park or something, and you'd see so many Mike Aiken clones, <laughs> and they would try to ride like him. Like they're in their the girls' jeans, and they're like trying to ride with their knees touching, and I'm like, ah, oh, 
There can only be one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so, it's like an, he's an enigma and just, I don't know. Do you think there will ever be someone who's at the same level of like notoriety and people wanting to be like that person again? Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, the world's changed a lot since then, Yeah, you know, with the, uh, with the internet, social media. I mean, I think Chase Hawk is right there. In terms of like style and creativity, I think if I was a kid coming up, I would want to ride just like Chase. I mean, I still yeah. do want to ride like Chase, but I think I think Chase Hawk could be that. But I mean, again, the world's a lot different. Like you didn't see a new Aikman clip every other day. It was like you had to wait for his video part or you had to wait uh, for him to show up at a contest. And I remember... I was at a couple contests where it was like highly anticipated that Mike Aiken was going to be there. One of which was the Toronto Metro jam where he like, as soon as they announced his name, like people, it looked like fans at a Michael Jackson concert in the eighties, like people crying, just like, oh, <laughs> and there was a big group of people like kind of like huddled by the fence that was right by the spine. And, Aiken dropped in for his first run, drops in on the six-foot quarter, just pedals, balls out, and hits the, the I think it was a five-foot, five-and-a-half-foot-tall spine, and just wrenches into an invert. And he's like 20 feet in the air. <laughs> I'm, I'm over-exaggerating. But, like, he's just, I don't know, maybe, like, six feet up, just, ah, just giving the fans everything. And, like, the fans are just, like, going insane. Like, they're finally getting to witness Mike Aiken ride a bike. And I think he actually won that Metro Jam. Uh, he did actually, he did win that one. And then I remember his second run, he went to like fast plant over this flat rail and his foot missed. And he took like the most brutal slam ever. <laughs> uh, but so that was one. And then another time was in, uh, in England, he showed up at a backyard jam in the box, like 20 feet out, like doing all the Mike Aiken stuff that you want to see Mike Aiken do. Yeah. So there's always times where like he really lived up to the hype where I'm sure there's, you know, fans talking, still talking about that. Like, Oh, I remember when he showed up at that backyard jam, oh, best day of my life. Well, I mean, we literally have people in the chat right now. Who are, I was at that Metro jam. It was insane. You know, insane. I, I will never forget like, uh, brought bags calling. Aiken, yeah. And next up, is Mike Aiken and I was like ah, and, <laughs> um, and just, just blasting that invert in everyone's faces and yeah, it was it was it was special for sure. It was it was really special to see him in that era, living up to the hype. I mean, it kind of feels like you're talking about like Matt Hoffman type greatness. Um, maybe in a different like category because Aiken wasn't necessarily inventing every trick that people do today. No, just Aiken was like a natural, just born with a gift. Yeah. Um, born with a gift to like have better style, do cooler tricks. And, and yeah, just, it, it, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd put him on like Hoffman's level. Like, um, but I mean, he's definitely, as far as like the most influential 
bike riders of all time. Like he's he's on that list. What if what if we did it by like era? You know, you got the Hoffman era, you got the Aiken era, and then no doubt in the future there's gonna be a somebody else era who's just. I mean, Garrett, Garrett era, which yeah seems to there never was, stop. Yeah, the, um, I think you know without a guy like Mike Aiken, you don't have Chase Hawk. Oh yeah. Uh, he definitely spawned a whole different breed of bike rider. So, yeah, I, and it's weird. Like, I don't know if Aiken was well liked by a lot of other pros either. Um, him and I were always, you know, pretty good friends, uh, just us both being on square one and like having a lot of the same friends, but I'd see him at contests, like just kind of being a dick to like other pros. Here, here's one example. Um, at the, where was it? Oceanside Vans Triple Crown. Uh, they're getting ready for the park finals. And Gary Young, Gary was pretty young. <laughs> Gary was pretty young. Uh, <laughs> Gary was starting to make some waves. Uh, Aiken was Aiken. This is like the Aiken era. Uh, they were both practicing and they collided. They hit one another. Not a bad hit. Uh, they were both okay, but they both fell. And Aiken got, gets up and he's just like, he screams something, and then you know there's Gary, like Gary's like kind of laughing it off, and Gary goes to give Aiken a high five, and Aiken's just like nah, and just rides off, and everyone was like, oh, um, so that was like one example, of like I don't know, I don't know if he was like well liked by everyone, everyone loved his riding, but sometimes he would he would just rub people the wrong way. That's pretty wild to think about because just the based on the way. Those same people talk about them today, probably. It's like you'd never even expect to hear a story like that. Yeah, he wasn't the most personable. Yeah. Um, I wonder when the last time Gary thought about that moment was. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should ask him. <laughs> if you ever do a, a chat with Gary, just be like, hey, do you remember colliding with Mike Aiken in Oceanside at the Triple Crown? And... Uh, Gary will be like, yeah, you know, whatever. whatever. Like, <laughs> cool it's, like, yeah. huh. it's just crazy to look back at times like that and not think about not knowing that it was coming, then seeing it coming and seeing it happening, and then now we're looking back on it like that happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely one of the greatest of all time. Somebody brought up a really funny moment, and I should ask I don't know the full story behind this because I can't remember, but uh, someone said, Chris, how was it when Hoder pretended to win the Nora Cup? <laughs> was it that one? <laughs> uh... Whoa, who put that there? <laughs> um, no, this is, this would be, the Hoder year was the year before this one. <laughs> and I don't, Honestly, man, there were so many people on stage. Yeah. And I don't really remember Hoder even being there. <laughs> well, I could see um, how that could easily happen with the insanity well, of it. And if you look, if you watch the video of when Hoder's doing his dance and when he's like doing his thing, like I'm completely like in the background, like still kind of crowd surfing. Like I don't even realize what, what, what's going on. And mm -hmm. I think it was later, I, I think Losi was like, man, Hoder was going off with your cup. And I'm like, oh, was he? Like, I didn't even know. 
um, somebody had poured beer in the Nora cup and Hoder like hoisted it up and like dumped beer all over himself. Uh, that was a moment, but I honestly don't remember him being on stage until I saw the video. I was like, whoa, that's cool. And there is a photo of Hoder and I floating around somewhere. Like after all that, like him and I with the, with the cup. And I tried to find it for Fudger prior to Hoder's interview, but I couldn't mm. find it. That's pretty funny. You could definitely see how easily you just miss something like that happening with the chaos that was going on on stage there, at that moment. There was a lot going on. and I know you got a lot, a lot of young viewers, but there was a lot of alcohol. and Everyone was of age. Listen, it's okay. I... <laughs> so, <laughs> Damn it. I, I got doused with alcohol um like as soon as they announced my name like everyone was like ah and there's like just beer and liquor and wine and everything's just like in my hair and on my shirt and you know the party just kept going until i don't know 3 a.m but i had a an 8 a.m flight the next day so i get back to my hotel room and i lay down and i'm like oh man i'm gonna be sick i'm gonna I'm going to throw up. So I go into the, my bathroom. I have my own room. I go into the bathroom, and I'm like, okay. I'm like just waiting for it to come, and it never. I, I don't get sick. And I'm like, well, I'm going to throw up eventually, so I might as well just sleep in the bathroom. <laughs> so I got a pillow from my bed, and I, I got a blanket, and I just slept on the floor of my bathroom like with the toilet like right over top of me. And I had the Nora cup on the sink but i in my drunken state i i remembered to set the alarm on my blackberry whoa <laughs> and, uh, flexing so i i set the alarm alarm goes off i get up and go to the airport i only had a backpack and i had the nora cup i'm wearing the same shirt from the night before it's just drenched with it's still wet from alcohol my hair is now like crispy from all the alcohol and i'm just waiting for my flight and i just i can just it's like the smell I could just see coming off of me. And uh, I sat next to this dude on the plane. He just, th he thought, he's like, man, did Vegas right, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and I, I, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. Like, I know my shirt's still damp. And yeah, we, it was a big night last night. He's like, no, nah, man, like, it's all good. And then I pass out and then I wake up when we're landing. And he's like, so what was going on last night? And I explained to him like what the Nora cup was and everything. And yeah, it was just, yeah, just wild, wild night. But I don't remember. I don't really remember Hoder being there. Do you remember what this guy thought of everything that you just, you explained after you did? Um, well, he, um, he looked me up. Like I, he had, uh, he had an iPhone. So oh, he could, did. like, look me up. So as soon as I told him, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're legit, man, yeah. Like, and uh, he pulled up, like, a couple of videos. He's like, oh, wow, like, and he's at, he, I think he knew who, like, Matt Hoffman was. He's like, do you know Matt Hoffman? I'm like, yeah, I know Matt Hoffman. Um, so, yeah. That's um, too but funny. He, was, he, was, he really thought it was funny that I just was drenched in alcohol. <laughs> did did make it right. He was a younger guy, so he was, he was glad. Um, I think... If you're coming out of any city in the in the world and you look like that and smell like that, like people are gonna be like, Good, yeah. Some people don't come out of there. Some people don't come out, man. Gravity Games happens in 2000, and you got second. 
If you had the exact same setup in front of you to ride, how long do you think it would take you to do your exact run from that? Which run? <laughs> okay, just riding and doing the same things you were doing there. Like, could you put together those runs again? I feel like you probably could. I think I could. Which is I think pretty it would take, awesome. It would take me a long time to do a three turn down to bar spin. Oh, yeah. Uh, you'd have to give me <laughs> at least a dozen tries for that one. Uh, maybe more. I don't know. But I think I could. Yeah. I, I just, I was saying that during my reaction video just like man i'm watching these guys ride right now and like it really feels like both you and nyquist could just do your exact runs again and potentially just do them better today nyquist definitely could uh that's still so incredible oh yeah uh i think i could though yeah i think i think i could do those runs maybe not as consistently but i could put it together I wouldn't be surprised even slightly because when you think about it, like the transfer line, which was the first, the first hit, people were just doing, you know, like straight turndowns and tucks and stuff. So it's like, you could probably even one up yourself today. At the time I had not three sixtied a bigger jump than that first set. Like that first set was the biggest set I'd ever three sixtied up and up until then. Uh, so and I was doing like 360 X ups on it, but I remember thinking like, "Wow, I can't believe I can spin that thing." Uh, that thing was a monster. But the the one on the left was like a 30 footer, and TJ was spinning that thing. That yeah, was, that was big. And those jumps looked dry. Yeah, I mean, those guys always had to do. It was always like we need a, a quick setup. You know, they right. build it. Um, they they took good care of it, but I mean, we're out in the middle of a. A field basically right and exactly. it was impossible to keep those things dry uh but tj uh, not tj uh fuzzy and those dudes always did like a really good job uh they never had a lot of time they didn't have good resources but they always like went above and beyond to make sure that all the riders were happy with with what they were riding in the, in the contest and i mean i definitely noticed when i was watching that video just like yeah these jumps look really dry but everybody's able to jump they're not blowing apart whenever people are casing it it looked like they were definitely good it just uh, just dry yeah from what i remember they were really good uh i mean they weren't like boxed in perfect but no I, there wasn't a lot of complaining i mean we're j during that time period we had just come out of the time when it was just a set of quads in a parking lot mm -hmm. so everyone was really excited to have like more than a few jumps, some options, some lines. Like, um, I think with that course, we really felt spoiled because there was, like I said, there was still just contests that had two jumps. Yeah. So to have multiple jumps and then like a Showtime booter at the end, like that was really cool. And I heard people, or I read people making comments on on my post and other posts, like, look at those jumps, they're terrible. But back then, we were so excited to have those jumps. I feel like even today, it could be argued that there's room for a dirt jumping contest that has a setup where you have a transfer line and then you have a berm and then you, you have multiple jumps like and options because there's not a whole lot out there for that right now. No, I mean, the, the only dirt jumping contests that I really know about are the ones that are at the motocross events. Right. And 
they just want the tricks. Mm -hmm. they, they don't care about your style. Doing that special flip and seeing do the front flip kickless and all that stuff. Right. I, I feel like even with those, you could have a setup like that. And the people who are watching that are motocross people. Like a lot of those people get super into motocross and into the tracks and things like that. I feel like they probably yeah. understand and get it. And then you have the, the big booter, crazy send it jump at the end. Yeah, oh. that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. Me either. It's just a thought. Like, I feel like there's definitely room for an event like like that one in today's. Oh, there's room. There's there's room for a lot of different events. There's just not a lot of budget for a lot of events. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's a... rises to the top. Like mm -hmm. there's a handful of guys that are doing really well, and then everyone else is just kind of getting by if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, is there anything that you remember about that contest in particular being like awesome or something that we no one would ever have seen in the you know finals recap video that went up? Oh, um, I'm trying to think. I know it was like literally twenty three years ago. <laughs> you know what I think about when I think about that dirt jumping event is uh, you know who Gabrielle Reese is? Uh -uh. Gabrielle Reese was a professional uh, volleyball player. TJ talked about her, yeah. Uh, Gabby Reese. She's married to Laird Hamilton, the yeah. big wave surfer. And she's a you know, beautiful woman. And at this time, she was hosting a few shows on MTV and she was just at the gravity games i think her and tj were friends and uh, i don't know if she, she might have been working there too i'm not sure but she was sitting there like at the top of the roll-in and every time she uh every time i would do a run i'd come up and, she, and she'd be like that was a good run good job <laughs> and I'm like thanks gabby reese <laughs> and uh there was one time where i was like signing autographs but my my run was coming up, so I had to go do my run. I'm, I'm sitting there signing autographs, and they're like, one more, one more. And these kids are, like, reaching over the fence. And Gabby Reese stands up, and she goes, kids, Chris has to do his run. He needs to go and focus. And I, just, I look at her, like, thanks, Gabby Reese. <laughs> Take off, do my run. But I always thought that was uh, – that's something that stands out to me for some reason. That sounds like something from, like, a sitcom where you're like, the Gabby Reese? Volleyball yeah. player, professional, every single time. Huge dirt waves, not the huge <laughs> ocean waves. Well, that's funny. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't have any. What's that? I know as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to think back and be like, oh, I remember that, the Gravity Games. And the year before, uh, the 99 Gravity Games was was really good, too. That was a good event, good, uh, good setup, and... Uh, good payout as well. Yeah. I remember that one being good. Like, um, Wachowiak, who I was close to at the time, I think he got second. And, like, Butler was there. Sean Butler did really well. And that was, you know, it was a good event. I was still, like, you know, middle of the pack guy. That's okay. You got second the next year. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is a totally 
semi-related question that popped into my mind when you said 1999. What were your personal thoughts when Y2K was going on and everyone was losing their minds thinking the world was going to end? I was too young and I didn't care. Yeah. To really like, what do I, I didn't have money in the bank, you know, if, and if I did, if I lost it, it was like very little amount. And, uh, I, gosh, yeah, I just remember being pretty naive. Like, I was like, I don't care, whatever. I don't, I don't even remember what I did that year either for New Year's, but mm. nah, I was just like, whatever, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. In hindsight, that's the mindset that everyone should have had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was too young. I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah. So that concludes all of my uh, Gravity Games questions and stuff. And I actually had a pretty cool thought for something to talk about. Because I feel like when you've ridden BMX for a long period of time, you you get to watch a lot of people grow up in BMX. And being that you've been in Pittsburgh as long as you have, and just in BMX in general, like, do you ever think about some of the people that you've watched go from being like a little kid to being a top tier pro level rider who's really making it in BMX? Um, do they have to be from Pittsburgh? I'm just saying, do you ever think about that? Like that side of BMX at all? Um, yeah, of course. I had a thought about uh, Dennis Anderson a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, maybe this doesn't answer the, your question That's okay. initially, but um, we were at the the Denver Dew Tour, and they used to do the open qualifiers. Mm-hmm. So it would give um, kids a chance to get on the tour, get on the Dew Tour. And I was sitting there in Denver, and I'm watching the open qualifier for dirt jumping. And there's this kid, and I don't know if Dennis was 14 or 15. He might have been 15. But I think Dennis was always like a bigger kid, right? Yeah. Like, I think at, at the age of fifteen, he was already tall, uh, and like he had some muscle to him. But regardless, he there's this kid, and he's doing three sixty double tail whips and stomping it every time, and he's like laughing, and he's just like he's kind of goofy. He doesn't. Have, I think at the time he might have been on flow from volume and demolition, but. I remember sitting next to Morgan Wade. I'm like, who's that kid? And Morgan's like, oh, you don't, you haven't heard of Dennis Anderson? I'm like, no, <laughs> who is he? And, and uh, Morgan was like, he's going to be like the next big thing. And I'm like, I've heard that before. Uh, yeah. Everyone's going to be the next big thing, whatever. And in my, in my competitive mind, I was like, yeah, I bet that kid's a prick. <laughs> like, I he's probably just some snot-nosed punk-ass kid that just, he's good, but whatever. He's going to have a crappy personality. No one's going to want to sponsor him. Good luck. And then he blew it in the open qualifier. Didn't make it. Like, I think they only took five guys out of the open qualifier, and Dennis didn't make it. He wasn't one of those five guys. So if you kids are watching, remember, Dennis had to struggle, too, at one point. So uh, Dennis doesn't make the open open qualifier, and I'm just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't need I don't need to compete against that kid because you know he he's probably going to be pretty good. He's going to take my job, 
screw that kid. And then uh, I think the next day we're in the athlete catering and I see Dennis and he's with his dad and his dad comes up to me, uh, Ken, and Ken's like, hey, Chris, I, I want you to meet my boy. This is this is Dennis. And Dennis comes over and he's like, hey, man, my name's Dennis. It's really great to meet you. I've always liked your riding. I'm a big fan. I like I watched White and White Nightmare every day. And I'm like, damn it, this kid's super cool. <laughs> That's so good. And I'm like, and then I talked with him for a minute. And I was like, oh, man, he's not a dick. And he's super good. I'm like. Yeah, he's going to be the next – he's going to be big. He's going to be, like, a, a big dude. And I think, like, a couple weeks later, he put out, like, some sort of edit. And I was like, oh, my God, that guy. He's going to be the best rider in the world. And then I was like – I had a friend at home here in Pittsburgh that was like, well, is he cool or is he a dick? I'm like, nah, man, he's super cool, too. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, good luck. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, dude, and then to wrap this up um, – Eventually, he did make it out of the open quad. I think it was like a year or two later. We're in Baltimore for the Dew Tour. And at this point, Dennis had become Dennis. He yeah. won a few events. He's really got a lot of momentum. And me and Will Stroud and Chris Bennett are watching Dennis ride in practice. And he's killing it. And <laughs> Will Stroud, one of my best friends in the world, says to Bennett, he goes, man... Dennis is like the new Doyle. And I'm just like, is, is, that, is that like a compliment or what? what? He's like, ah, he's like the, the new Doyle. And then Chris Bennett, another good friend of mine, goes, yeah, but Dennis can actually win contests. <laughs> and I'm just like, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, so I wanted him just to be unlikable. I just wanted him to be a prick. But it turns out he's like super cool, ultra talented. And, and now he's doing it. Do you watch his uh, YouTube video? I haven't yet. I've seen his channel and seen that his he's doing awesome with it. I just haven't. He's, yeah, it's it's really it's a good watch. Um, it's cool to see a lot of his personality and the ones that he had uh, Jaden Muka on. Mm -hmm. Those are really good too. Uh, when they were like backflipping the full suspension mountain bike, like dude, Dennis flips a huge set on a full suspension mountain bike like it's gnarly so it's not like them just clowning yeah he's doing like gnarly stuff I, I haven't watched the current one but it's like oh him and garrett reynolds go out riding it's like well this is gonna be what he does and he was giving that insight and just doing it and then he had his accident and didn't get to see him ride like that anymore and then for that period of time there's a gap and i i just feel like dennis having a youtube channel is the kind of thing that bmx almost like needs as a whole for other people to be like oh i've seen this guy's viral videos because when he makes an edit it gets millions and millions of views and those aren't all bmx riders and then you get to see a peek into the everyday and then he brings other pros that are the best in it it's just i don't know it's, it's awesome that that exists yeah no and i think it's gonna get bigger and bigger and oh bigger. for sure yeah it's it's great Absolutely. And it seems like, I mean, I haven't watched the videos, but I see some stuff that gets posted on Instagram and it's like every single video is, you know, the other pros like bangers for their parts are just his casual sessions in his YouTube videos. Yeah. 
the he's doing uh, in one of his videos. He does like straight double bar spins both directions, just on at that uh, at Claremont. Yeah, Dude, that's gnarly. <laughs> A straight double is gnarly. I don't care what anyone says. Like yeah, but the, and then to do it both ways, I'm just like, damn. Yeah, I've I only know one other person other than Nyquist. I guess that could probably do that, but uh, Alex Glenn Liebrock. Johnson. Glenn Johnson too. Glenn, Glenn could do that. Glenn, Glenn could do that tonight if we had him. Like, <laughs> if we had a box jump right here, like, Glenn would... Just, yeah, I got it. In Glenn Johnson's edits, or the one where he's doing 540s, both regular and opposite over spines, like, you just have to watch it. Like, Yeah. Hurricanes, sub boxes. Both, both ways. Yeah. Big ones. A wall yeah. slap to fakie on, like, a six... Maybe not six. Five at... Five foot... But, I can't even talk. It's so crazy. It's like a six-foot quarter going five feet to a wall, coming back in fakey. Vertical wall slaps. So your front tire's on. Just... Yeah. Yeah, he's gnarly. Yeah. But so to go back to, like, the topic there, though, I mean, I think of the Hallahans in that conversation of just seeing these young kids who are starting to ride and then just watching them grow through BMX and see where the Hallahans they're not even like there yet, you know, but they're there. Yeah, uh, that's a good point because I I did see them as little kids right. riding at my local skate park and uh, you know having a conversation with their dad Mike, and it is it's it, it was really funny when uh, they invited me to their trails for the first time, and they were still little kids, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is nice. These are nice little jumps, guys. Like. <laughs> very good bravo like you're, you're digging you're you're doing your thing and then like last summer i went to the trails and i'm like holy shit <laughs> and i was like sweating it and like oh no doyle just follow me i'm just like okay and like nathan is just pulling back on everything and i'm like i can't hang like <laughs> um i'm like i'm not on these kids level anymore uh but yeah, it was like it, it has been cool to see those guys go from like little kids to where they are now. Like Nathan is spinning the moon jump at at Hazelwood now, like no problem. Like that's a big jump. So, um, yeah, that's I'm glad that you uh, brought that up because yeah, that is a good example of seeing like young kids riding 12 inch bikes to like now they're just blasting everything right and i feel like we just have you know the wheel mill to thank for a lot of that because it gives people the place to go in the winter time at least in pittsburgh and then you've got all these wheel mill kids that just are crazy they're jumping the woods room going as high as you can possibly go getting sideways with it it's awesome yeah um i think about there's a couple of people that come to my mind at least when it comes to like cleveland with that kind of stuff because and I don't know if you'd recognize names but there's a kid named Owen that I can remember having two pegs a straight cable and just trying to do fly out tricks in the Subaru room at Ray's and now he's just ripping it and the one thing that I always love that he does is like so you know the spine in the Subaru room at Ray's and then there's the little kickers that come off of it He's doing alley-oop 180s over that, so his back tire is going over the spine. Hmm. 
and it's just crazy a 180 bar like that and it's just you watch him do it it doesn't make sense and you're like how are you not hitting your back tire and stuff like that and it's just thinking that he the first time i saw this kid he's just this little scrawny kid who can barely pull up his bike with a straight games and mira like going out of his way to like games and mira like going out of his way to like be like dude look where you're at now like this is because uh i I met him when i was probably like 14 years old in greenville uh when he had just moved there and he came up to our trails a couple times and yeah he was he wasn't like when i first met him he was not the shining BMX God. Like he mm-hmm. lived in a crappy apartment across the street from the, the JC park in Greenville. So he was just like a regular guy who just wanted to ride. Yeah. And we would go to Greenville. It gave him someone to ride with and he'd ride with us. And then he really blew up, blew up real big. And yeah, then I made my first X games at 17 and we're there in San Diego. I'd made the dirt final and like he was just like dude doyle like they really went out of his way to like say like hey man i'm I'm proud of you for being here like you were just a kid at the trails a couple mm-hmm. of years ago and now look where you are and that was when like dirt jumping was the biggest event at the x game so like the crowd is huge and yeah you get the jumbotron and like the life about is if you've ever had someone come up to you and like have a similar story about you being like super cool to them as a kid and then you meet them later or something have you ever had anything like that happen i want to say yes but i can't think of it right now yeah yeah i can't uh i know like one time we uh, at like the east coast terminal there was a rider uh curtis elwell he was like he had just turned pro and he was uh starting to make some waves and he was super nervous i'm like dude you just gotta like calm down just relax i don't really feel like i gave him great advice but like a couple of years later he he's like man you talking to me at east coast terminal meant a lot to me back then like i really appreciated you doing that and uh but i i don't think it was anything like inspiring but yeah. sometimes it doesn't need to be you know sometimes you just like saying hi to somebody or being like hey that was that was a good trick you did or you know whatever sometimes that makes all the difference for somebody oh 1000 percent. just because you never know who's watching or who's you know taking in whatever you're saying and doing at any given time mm-hmm. that's awesome uh and another note that i thought of too just the wheel mill kids in the wheel mill in general is like do you think you'd still be in pittsburgh if it wasn't for the wheel mill <laughs> <laughs> Muller's gonna be screenshot screen recording you this time. <laughs> I I had a mouthful of ice. Um would I still be in uh, yeah, I'm I'm here. Like um my wife has a good job, my kids go to school here. Um so yeah, I would I don't think I could move, right? I mean my roots are planted here now. I I so. mean like if the wheel mill never opened. Oh, um, yeah, I think I would have stayed. Yeah. Would have figured something out. Because there was a time when we didn't have the wheel mill and the brick house had just shut down. So we were just driving up to, like, we would take turns driving to Cleveland twice a week, once a week. Yeah. So 
you just do what you got to do. Yeah. And that was the case too. Um, back in the day when Studio 334 shut down, that was like my local park, and I would just drive up to Section 8 mm. once a week or twice yeah. a week. That makes so, sense. I mean, there's been times when we didn't have anything here and we had to travel. If you want to ride, you got to travel. We'd go to Columbus, ride the flow, go. Um, we'd go up to Tim's, the barn. Yeah. Still uh, there. Yeah. We would go to Section 8 and, yeah, just start clocking those miles on your yeah. vehicle. And that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, speaking of Pittsburgh, I had a fun one here. I'm not going to be super great of a help with this one, but I think it'd be really fun to talk about some of the craziest stuff that's gone down in Pittsburgh over the years. How far back do you want to go? Whatever you can, whatever you think is significant enough to bring up. Well, you got to understand, in Pittsburgh, there was a scene, in terms of, like, crazy stuff I, I don't even know like are you talking about like riding or yeah like like you think of Pittsburgh riding and then a spot comes to mind where somebody did something insane or somebody doing something super crazy in the trails I mean just the fact that Hazelwood exists is and people ride it is kind yeah. of crazy in itself um there was a I don't know why this just popped into my mind in the Anthem, Anthem two, excuse me. Um, in Anthem two, Brian Yeagle does a tail tap. Mm. Just a tail I tap. I know which one you're talking about. On this skinny, um, it's like, um, it's a wall. It's a, it's like a, a skinny barrier that yeah. goes up to a transition. Yep. And, everyone talked for years about doing something on it and no one would do any, like it's so, it's so terrifying to ride. Um, but Yeagle doing a tail tap on it is like probably the gnarliest street thing to go down in Pittsburgh. And it's just the tail tap. But when you go there and you look at it, you're like, Oh my God, this is insane. Oh yeah. I've seen um, it. I'm drove by it. Yeah. I, I remember, um, Kelly Bolton, was in town and they were filming for the eastern video and he's like i'll flare it and i'm like dude you won't flare this like, <laughs> like oh, i'll flare it and uh i brought him there and he flared into the grass like on the on the left hand side i'm like nah dude you got to come back into that transition he's like no no i'm not i would no that's too crazy <laughs> and then i told them that yeagle had tail tapped it and they're like there's no way no, because it's tight, it's skinny, and there's a, a the way he was doing it. There's a big drop on the other side. It was pretty it was nuts. Awesome. I I definitely had been in the car with somebody, and there we go to drive by, and like that's the spot, that's the spot. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like that's the Yeggle tire tap. Yeah. Then you you look at it, you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's burly. It's definitely pretty nuts. And that thing can't be much more than a foot wide if it is. Yeah. That's definitely a, a pretty nuts one. I don't know a lot of the spots and history of like riding in Pittsburgh to be able to say. Um, 
Sean Burns did a lot of cool things that a lot of people had talked about for a long time around Pittsburgh in his Anthem 2 part. Uh... I think about Imperial and just some of the crazy stuff that had to have gone down at Imperial. Um, not so much. Like, Imperial is so hard to ride. It definitely that, is. Like, like, simple stuff is crazy. Like, just to, like, again, Yeagle, like, jumped uh, this, like, one platform there. Like, he had to go, like, a thousand miles an hour. And mm. he, like, you drop in, it's, there's, like, the clamshell here, and he, like, jumps. I can't even describe it. But, so is he jumping um, with a steep quarter to his left and going somewhere? Um, I can't describe it. That's okay. <laughs> but... So yeah, Imperial so difficult to ride that I think like anything is impressive there. I would agree with that. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Yeah, it's it's definitely a crazy wild park. I feel like I remember you talking about Yego going ten feet in the air off of the one end of the bowl too. It Imperial was the first decent concrete park that we had in Pittsburgh. So me and Yeager would meet there sometimes at like nine, ten in the morning. It used to be him and I. And he was just blasting all over the park. Uh, no cameras, no no one setting up their iPhone to film a clip, like going like nine feet out of a ten foot quarter at nine o'clock in the morning just because. Just mm-hmm. like because that's just how he rode. Um and again, just him and I. Like I'm just witnessing like the gnarliest riding of all time and he's just like yeah whatever that's so sick but and in addition to that like he'd be like sprocket casing the quarters like getting flash just like he always it's like he wasn't happy unless he was on that edge like i gotta be on the edge of like life or death here and uh that was just the way he rode and it was sometimes it was scary but it's all good. <laughs> that's how legends are made right like yeah i feel like so much of Yeagle is like folklore. You know, oh, it's like, yeah. oh, I, I heard this and I heard that. And there are all these rumors that you hear. You don't really see it, but you hear like everyone's got a story. It's kind of like that. Oh, yeah. I even, <clears throat> we've already talked about my stories with Yeagle, but I do have that, that hip, that dirt hip. Was it a Verde poster or something oh, like yeah. that? Just that hip where he's just 30 feet off the ground, like not even exaggerating gotta be one of the craziest photos <clears throat> and that's a lot of the reason he doesn't really ride anymore is he he's only happy if again if he's on that edge mm-hmm. and it just got to be too dangerous i think and he was getting hurt a lot and he was just like just over it and he doesn't touch his bmx bike anymore he he rides mountain bikes occasionally um he skates he skateboards um but Nah, he's done riding BMX. Well, shout out to him wherever he is. Um, <clears throat> I feel like you can't talk about Pittsburgh craziness without talking about that Fufanu that just got posted again. The um, voice Fufanu. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Like these clips will just like start, you know, circulating. Like once or twice a year, that pops up. Mm-hmm. Or like, I feel like once or twice a year, the the uh, 
the tree ride to invert that I did in uh, in Boston. That gets brought up again. So it's it's funny how like these things will kind of like live on on uh, social media. But um, so yeah, the the Fufanu. Uh, so yeah, I saw that posted and definitely took me back there. That's my local park. That's right. That's just a few miles up the road. So I would look at that every day. Like every time I would ride that that skate park, I'm like, oh, I bet I could Fufanu that. But it, the time had to be right. Like I, I needed someone with a good camera. I had to be working on a project, and you know, it just so happened like the kink team was going to be in Pittsburgh, and I need I need to film for my video part. And Daryl's there, and like the time was right. It was like I'm going to Fufanu that fence, and everyone's like, that fence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I pushed the chain link underneath the the bar, so I would have you know somewhere to stall. Uh, I remember like first the first couple attempts, like I was just kind of like wall slapping the fence and jumping out, and like oh, I got this, no problem. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize like that's a it's a nine foot bowl, and I'm coming into a corner, and it's really high. Like if I pulled too far out, like I would just come into like the steep part. But I'm trying to aim for that corner, and uh, there's a lot of factors that just made it way scary. And here's some, here's a little behind the scenes for anyone that's that's viewing. Uh, I I get migraine headaches. I don't know what triggers them, but it's like once every couple months I'll get like a really bad migraine. I've been getting them since I was 16 years old, and I can always tell when I'm about to get a migraine because I get this weird like ocular mm. um, like blur like kind of blurry vision. Yep. And from what I know, that's that's normal for people to get that get my migraines. So I'm about five tries in on the Fufanu, and I start to get the the blurry vision. And I'm just like, oh god, not now! Like again, I don't know what triggers it. It might be stress, dehydration. I I don't know, but I'm I just start seeing the blurriness, and I'm just like, ah. I can't believe I'm like in the middle of like trying this gnarly fufanu and I'm about to get a big migraine. And so I remember the last few attempts before I pulled it, the bar was nothing but a blur to me. So I'm just like airing up and just kind of like, okay, I'm like, good. And then, uh, so that's why I, so I just remember getting like starting to get that migraine. I'm like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. This is the worst timing. Naturally. Yeah, just the way it goes. I feel like it worked out, and then the next day was when I ate shit on that gap handrail. Oh uh, yeah. Also in squash it. It's like my my first clip and my last clip. Um, yeah, that that clip where I try the gap to rail. Uh, that was the next day after the fufanu. So I was so excited I got the fufanu, and then the next day was like back to stressing, trying to get this clip. Oh man, gotta love the highs and lows of BMX. Well, it, it was the same deal. Like I've driven by this when Daryl's here, right? And so I just I put on, put on my big boy pants and <laughs> gave it a go. And no one talks about me almost pulling it. Like everyone just talks about the slam for good reason. And uh, like, but the try before that, like I got most of the way down the rail came off early, drug a foot, and I was like, 
oh, I got this. And that's why I went up the next time and I had all this confidence. And I'm like, I'm just going to pull this. And that's when my front peg missed and I dove down some stairs. You have no doubt had some of the craziest falls. But you know what? Like me pulling that might not have been as cool as the slam. Like I think sometimes a slam clip looks better than like pulling it. Oh, especially if you don't pull it as nice as you'd want to. Yeah. So, again, I was like, maybe that's a better clip. Maybe me, like, eating shit is the better clip than me actually pulling it. That's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, in regards to that fufanu too, I mean, it's probably already been said, but it's crazy when you watch it. But then you go to Boyce and you hit <laughs> that quarter and then you think about the bowl corner and you think about that fufanu and you're just like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. I I needed a banger. <laughs> yeah, you got one. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, very happy that that one, at least that one worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's like when you look at that, what do you, what do you think today when you look at that? Do you even think, think about it? I always think it's funny because it's still the chain link is still pushed under the bar there yeah. and it's uh no i was like i always just look at it and i shake my head i'm just like wow <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a different person like i don't feel like it was me that did it but um yeah it's definitely it's crazy to think about and it's weird like people will show up sometimes um i was there one time and there was a skateboarder and he's like man there's a clip online and a guy stalls <laughs> on his bike on that rail. And I'm just like, no way. He's like, dude, seriously, man, I, I seen it. I see it. And like, he'll get on his phone. He's like, dude, I'll, I'll find it real quick. And he sits there and he finds it. And uh, he's like showing it to me. I'm like, oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. And uh, I was like, you know, that's me. You realize that, right? <laughs> he's, like, he's like looking, because at the end, you see me looking at the, the clip and everything. He's like, oh, no. Oh, my. Like, he, <laughs> kind of embarrassed but uh, we have a good laugh That's but i've had more than enough people like ro roll up and like are you the one that stalled on the fence i'm like that was me so lo local hero i guess hey local legend status. it ain't much but it's honest work <laughs> <laughs> that, that meme that's very wild. I mean, I've been there. I've looked at it, and I've as soon as I hit that quarter for the first time, I'm just like, there's no goddamn way. <laughs> <laughs> like what? It it's a weird park, right? Like there's a lot of yes. weird transitions. Um, a lot of people from out of town don't like it. They'll, like because you have to get used to it. You have to really like give yourself some time to learn where the the good parts of the transition are, and and so on and so forth. But I'll bring people there and like the first hour they're just like, oh, this, this place sucks. Unless it's uh, the fast and loose. I was going to say. They were here and it was, you know, Chris Fox, Jason Watts. Uh, oh, oh, why can't I think of all their names? Walsh, Cordova. Uh, Corey, yeah, Corey Walsh. And they just destroyed the park. Oh, like, sure. I, I thought I'd show up. I have all my local lines and everything. They had all my lines. They had their own lines. They're like doing NBDs. I was like, wow, you guys are. Boyce is fun, though, because. More forgiving in that you can find something that suits you. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, yeah, a lot of the parks around here aren't really like that. Carnegie. It, yeah, I don't really like Carnegie that much. Um, it's got some things, but 
I maybe I just don't ride it enough. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I like I just like that uh the brick snowplow thing. I just like hitting that kicker and going as far as possible on that. Yeah. That's the most fun. But I'm thinking about that. I mean, is it Sheridan that's the metal ramps? Yeah, Sheridan's sick. the best quarters. Best six foot quarters anyone's ever ridden in the planet. That the the back wall where you can just like ice pick grind as long as you can stay in an ice pick. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that park. That's one of my favorite parks in Pittsburgh, for sure. It's so good. And and it's funny because it's literally all six foot quarters. Yeah. Yeah. It's that American ramp company and it's the, the same six foot quarter over and over and over again, but it's fun to see like what you can come up with there. Oh that yeah. Place, yeah. I need to, I haven't been there in probably two years. I need to get back there. Yeah, that place, just the hips. I mean, where do you find six-foot, quarter-to-quarter hips that are that perfect? Yeah. Too good. Uh, I can't even think of the, if there's any others. There's random ones, I know. There's, like, McKinley. There's Polish Hill. Um, Polish Hill looks, like, unique. Polish Hill is just pretty much the bowl, and there's a few things that a couple skateboarders have built on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that place is cool. You can have some fun there for an afternoon. Yeah. Oh, I meant to ask you, too, talking about people and watching them grow up. Like, what do you first remember of Mason Ritter? Um, I, I don't remember the first time I actually met Mason. Uh, but I, you know, I would just like, kind of see him around, and he always had like this unique style uh both like on his bike and like the way he dressed and the way he would like uh color his shoes and Mm. he was just he was so different and refreshingly different because everyone in pittsburgh we all pretty much ride alike you know it's no it's no wonder the hallahans turned out the way they they turned out because everyone's all about like it's a heavy motocross influence around here um but like mason seemed to be on like some whole different thing like he just had a a different view of how he wanted to ride and he wanted to do different tricks and um it was a really a breath of fresh air like oh who's the dude doing heel clickers Mm -hmm. um who's the guy doing bar hops like just a a totally different take on uh it's funny that he came from this scene because we're so not that scene but um it's been really awesome to see his popularity grow and you know become the person that he is now like going to those triple crown events mm-hmm. and bestwick's like getting tongue-tied trying to announce like <laughs> was was that a saran wrap to superman secret indian air like trying to figure things out so it's it funny seeing mason go out into the world and like you know gain a lot of popularity just by being himself and doing the tricks he likes to do yeah, it's funny that you bring up it's how crazy it is that he came up in the Pittsburgh scene because when you think about it after you say that, there really is no one who rides like that. No. No one. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, there's not a lot of people in the world that ride like Mason. He's, exactly. He's, he kind of blends a lot of old elements with the new elements and uh just likes doing the tricks yeah i mean the only person i feel like locally who sort of 
does that type of outside of the box thinking with things is just zoo with some of the yeah with just some of the stuff that you see him doing yeah cram cans dude i was is okay can you explain that so i can make sure i'm thinking of the right a cram can is a trick that was invented by chad harrington in which you do a can can and you like wrap your leg underneath the down tube that's what i thought kind of near the head tube and you just like kind of pull your leg up um yeah it's, it's a wild one he might be the only person in 2023 that's doing that trick <laughs> um yeah zoo's zoo's funny because like you can't get it imagine doing a podcast with zoolander oh yeah he's just a man of very few words very little words but he is incredible yeah yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of those sleeper guys that have come out of Pittsburgh. I mean, we talked about Glenn Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Zoolander. Um uh, Cam Garvin. Cam is another one. Crazy one cuz he just has no chill. Right. Uh and he was a wheel mill kid. Yeah. He was there every day. Um but yeah, so there's I mean the East Coast like the East Coast is kind of known for just having sleeper talent. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, that's, I mean, just the way it is. And to see Mason, he's riding for pro for GT now, it's just, I feel like that was a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, doing well for himself now. Yeah. Um, I got two more questions. When was the last time you did something that really made you nervous? Can you remember it? That really made me nervous? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I can't really remember. Honestly, uh, I was really nervous when we went to Clint Reynolds' house to start filming when I was filming stuff for Stu. Yeah. Uh, for, for S&M when I was filming with Stu. I was really nervous just because I thought like I'd never be filming for something again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if I can't like do it the way that I'm expected to do it? Like what if I didn't want someone like looking at my riding and be like, wow, he really fell off. Um, so I remember being like, maybe nervous isn't the right word. Maybe it was more like self-conscious. Yeah. I was like thinking about everything I was doing. And there was a, um, we rode Clint Reynolds house, his trails, which were awesome. And then the next day we went to this other spot where this guy had like a mini ramp and he had a uh, little um, trail set up. And I was trying to film stuff on the mini ramp and I was so unnecessarily nervous, like just falling on stuff I shouldn't be falling on. And I was just like, and I kept, you know, I'd wait my turn and I'm like, right, are you ready, Stu? And I would like drop in and try to do a run. And I'm just like, I was just like, I was sweating super bad. And um, I just remember like that whole trip, I was so nervous and self-conscious even though i didn't need to be yeah um because like i said before this is just bonus round like no one's paying me right um i should just be enjoying myself but i just remember thinking like well i want this to look a certain way i want this to like really be something special and like i was just blowing it on on stuff i shouldn't be blowing it on so i don't know if that really answers your question but um in terms of like being nervous about something like i just remember that whole trip i was nervous Oh, that totally counts. And I feel like 
it's a perfect example of how we can just get in our own heads so easily with things that maybe not necessarily should get in our own heads. I, I get that way too sometimes. It's like, why? There's, yeah. With, with the dumbest things that shouldn't do that. But the important part is that we get through them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can totally relate with that. And then the last thing I was curious about, and I don't know if I asked this before or not, is just if you do anything outside of BMX for fun. For fun? Yeah. Um, not lately. Uh, BMX is my, like, recreation now. Like, yeah. a lot of people, you know, guys my age go out and play golf or um, – they have some sort of like recreational activity like that. Like that's what BMX is to me now. It's like my escape. It's recreation. It's fun. It's exercise. Uh, I still do try to ride enough to where I can maintain a skill level that I can be proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, but what else do I do? Like I spend a lot of time with my kids. Yeah. Uh, now it's mostly about them and like, trying to find I want them to find the thing that they can be passionate about their BMX uh, yeah like I don't really care what it is they want to do I'm, I'm trying to get them more on bikes mm -hmm. uh, which has been tough with the colder weather but I think this summer we'll start taking some little bike trips here and there um, I want to like really introduce them to BMX because that's the one thing that I can help them with the most yeah like if my son's into hockey and he wants to know how to shoot a better slap shot, I, I can't teach him. Like, I, I don't know. I, don't, I never played hockey. But if my son decides, like, he's going to race BMX and he wants to learn how to get around the track faster and how to take a roller, I can help you with that, Sebastian. So um, that's I'm going to introduce them to BMX for that reason. But if they say, like, Dad, I hate riding BMX, I'm going to be like, okay, let's not do this. Let's find something else. So that's kind of where we're at, like with my daughter. Like, she's playing basketball, she's swimming, she's dancing, she's doing gymnastics. Um, so honestly, it's more about them, like helping them find what they can be passionate about. Honestly, with my daughter, I think she's more artistically inclined than she is athletically, because she'll like every piece of paper, everything around us, like she draws on, mm -hmm. like she made a, a photo album tonight like oh yeah <laughs> this is one of a thousand pieces of paper that are just sitting around the house that she'll just she scribbles she's always like um making different like pieces of art so i think that's gonna be more her thing uh than being athletic yeah um, my son's just wild i don't know what he's gonna do he's only <laughs> three uh so yeah i ride bmx for fun and I think it's fun to have a kid and watch them learn something new and fun to like see them get passionate about something else. And it's fun to see them interact with their friends. So really it's just, uh, maybe not the answer that, that you want, but that's, that's the best I got. It's just, uh, trying to help my, my kids find their BMX. That's, that's where I'm at. That is exactly the answer that I wanted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I just wanted your answer, you know? Like, um, my kids have never played a video game. Wow. Um, 
they my wife has an iPad that she uses for work and the kids don't use it. Um, oh. I'm very pre- like we have a lot of toys. My kids play with toys and um, we have bikes and my son seems kind of curious about skateboards. Um, but yeah, like I'm, we're working hard to like give them like a normal childhood, which is, is different in this is, is very difficult in today's world when there's just so much information mm. and screens. Um, luckily that my kids are young though. So like none of their friends have phones yet. So I know once someone in kindergarten gets a phone, my, my daughter's like, I want a phone. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'm, I'm starting to go off on a tangent about fatherhood now. That's okay. <clears throat> uh, we had a, a response here from our BMX. Cool answer, but the correct one is restarting his podcast. <laughs> uh, is that Fudger? Of course. It's got to be Fudger. Um, I think about it probably every day. I think about my pod. I think about Palaver. Um and I'll go into it a little bit. I um, I really wanted my podcast to be like super successful right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that to be my thing. I wanted that to almost like be my job. Like, oh, you know, eventually if I do good enough at this, someone will want to like sponsor the podcast and I can get better equipment and then I can get a budget to where I can uh, go to the guests that I want to go to and, and, or fly them here. And I feel like I was kind of working towards that. And maybe that's not the, the most noble reason for doing a podcast, but, um, that was kind of like, I, I wasn't a pro rider anymore. I needed to figure something out. And that was kind of the avenue I was going down. Um, and then in addition to that, I was doing like some commentary as well, but I wanted like, you know, the, I wanted a big podcast. But I just didn't have the means to do it. And time was running out. Money was running out. I needed to get a job. And I just didn't have, I didn't do the, like the low budget ones. It was like, and then we go into the pandemic and people aren't, don't want to be together. And I much rather do an interview face to face than do it remote. So I was like, if I can't get the content I want to get, then I'm just not going to do it. And then I did a few solo podcasts where it was just me talking. Some people liked them, but in the end, I was I, I hated the sound of my own voice because I would sit there in like down in my truck in my garage. I'd record a podcast and then I would go and I'd edit it. And at the end of the editing, I was like, I hate my own voice. I'd sat there with the earphones on. And I was like, I can't stand my own voice. I can't, I can't do this to myself. So I stopped doing them. Um, but I do think like there's a few guys that I would love to get their stories out. Like Mm -hmm. I would love to like help, um, people talk about, uh, being a a pro bike rider during my era. Cause a lot of like what we talked about, there was a lot of money being thrown around. There's a lot of money being thrown at people and people were taking lame deals and doing lame things. And I, I love, and I'm sure everyone loves the, like the tragedy and triumph story. Like Jerry Bagley's story, like, is, uh, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying this because I did the interview. Like, <laughs> I think that was the best podcast ever because he goes through the whole arc of his career, from like being, you know, Massachusetts kid racing to being like one of the highest paid 
bike riders in the world, like having royalties from, from Mosh and Giant that were crazy, being on DC, and then losing it all. But he was the first North American athlete on Red Bull. And, you know, he lost it all. He's living in a crappy apartment with his two kids and had to, like, pick up the pieces. Like, that's the story I wanted, and that's the story we got. And, like, after Jerry's podcast, it's like, man, if every podcast could be this good, like, I got, I'm sitting on a, a lottery ticket. But it just wasn't going to be like that. And, again, I think I just got impatient, and I ran out of time. I needed to start focusing on working an actual job. But now that... I do have like a, a normal nine to five, like, and I'm still able to travel. I might pick it back up. Um, I still have all my equipment. I would just set up uh, an iPhone and start doing, you know, recording it that way and syncing up. I have like um, Will Stroud sync up the audio for me. And, um, but yeah, I do think about it a lot. There's a lot of stories I would love to like help get out. Like I would love to do like the Sean Butler interview I would love to do the Josh Harrington interview. Um, not to say those guys would actually do interviews with me, but, uh, but yeah, I do. I, and I still get like people asking about it, like, dude, yours was the best podcast. You've got to do more of those. And I don't know. I, I think in going through, um, going th through the late nineties, through the the golden years of BMX, I think a lot of people trust me as an interviewer too like we shared a lot of deck space together we you know i really want wanted to do the the aiken podcast i wanted to do i want i wish i could have sat with budger and dennis to be a part of that because um i think he, he would have been a little bit more comfortable like opening up about certain things you know the beauty of podcasts is that just because they did one doesn't mean you couldn't do one with them that's true. Yeah, um, actually, and Aiken called me out because um, uh, I said something about wanting to like sit in on the interview with uh, Fudger and and Dennis, and Aiken was like, "You won't do one with me." That, <laughs> that was what he said. Um, so maybe I will, uh, because like I said, I I got to like kind of be around for like before Aiken was Aiken, and I got mm -hmm. to witness the the whole arc of his career and then uh, the unfortunate injury that got more of like a tragedy really like it's a tragedy that Aiken's not uh it's it's a tragedy that like riders coming into the sport no, now won't know who Mike Aiken was yeah like that and like I don't know that I think that stings a little bit because we really got to witness a lot of greatness yeah, uh, not just with Aiken, but with like so many guys that aren't really around anymore. Um, Tell that so. story. Tell those stories. That's what starts people in becoming filmmakers or podcasters or anything is this this passion for telling a story that they have in their head that they feel hasn't been told well enough or hasn't been told yet, and then they go and instead of waiting on somebody else to do it, they are the one that just does it. Oh, so you're saying I should just do it? Uh, kinda. <laughs> if you, I mean, like, that's the cool thing about podcasts too, and this is what I told to <clears throat> Joe, Gromdad, was like, because he was kind of bummed, like, feeling like he had to just either quit or force himself to keep doing what he was doing. And I'm like, no, dude, you don't, like, 
or like announce that it's totally over or whatever I'm like no you don't you don't have to do any of that you don't have to say anything you just put one out when you want to put one out and then people are stoked they don't have to yeah. know the behind the scenes of things um I did reach out to um Drew Bazanzan oh, and I was yeah. like dude I would and I, I don't know if he even knew that I had a podcast. I was like, hey, if I revamp my podcast, I want you to do an interview. Because um, I I see his posts on, on Instagram and the stuff that he puts up, like, I want to know, I want to know so much more. Like, I, um, and I, like, I'm, I'm really rooting for, for Drew. Like, yeah. I really want, like, um, but what he's going through cannot be easy right and i want to help him tell i i don't know if legally he's allowed to talk about what happened yet mm. um that's kind of what i was led to believe um he's like i can't really talk too much about it yet but huh. they're waiting for uh something to come to a close and uh he's like yeah but i i think he'd be into it um but the time has to be right i, I wonder how long or when that will even happen crazy yeah, I don't know. huh well i hope that happens and i hope that you found some motivation to to just send well, it no fudger hits me up all the time about it He's like, dude you gotta bring the podcast back he, he, i think he called me out on uh was it hoders or someone's where he's like oh shout out to doyle for not doing his podcast anymore <laughs> <It's been laughs> how many years he was, uh, I, I was, he's passionate I I'd love to do one with Brian Castillo, who like hates talking. Dude, he's he's such a private person, but I think I could break him down a little. He bit. told me he would do mine. I just have to keep asking him. <laughs> like he's like, I'll do it. Ask me in a few weeks. Then I ask him in a few weeks. He's like, oh, I can't yet. Ask me in a couple more weeks. And I'm like, because yeah. I did the one with Rooftop, and Rooftop's like, oh, you got to get Brian on. He's Brian's an interesting guy. Um, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, Brian's a really interesting guy. I think he's. I mean, if there's a street rider Hall of Fame, like he's an inductee, no, no, no doubt. Like mm-hmm. one of the cleanest. Like you know, him and him and Dave Parrick, I think, uh, brought a lot to street riding when it was just like all about hucking. Like those guys had a lot of smooth lines, and you saw them pedaling, and you like. Um, just you know, clean is the best way to describe it. Like I always thought, like him and Parrick had like the best style on the street. And then you got the freaking sprocket on the fence to death drop. That if you that was Castillo, right? There's the picnic tables, and then there's a sprocket on a fence, and then he drops over the other side into the asphalt bank. Or am I remembering the wrong person? I don't think that was Brian Castillo. Maybe not, but I swear that it was. That doesn't sound like him. Let's see. Maybe it wasn't, and I'm thinking of the wrong person. Someone will tell me. Either way, I would love to have something with him come out. It really would be yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's a good guy. Like, um, I think... My, the thing about uh, not being pro anymore is that I don't travel as much anymore. Like, yeah, I don't know when the next time I'll be on the West Coast to like see all my West Coast friends. But 
when I'm out in California, I always make it a point to like meet up with Castillo and have some lunch or something. Um, when I was out in San Diego last year, I drove up to uh, around where he lives and we had lunch. And then I I was late getting back, so I had to sit in traffic. And but it was worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always worth it to be a good friend. So on that note, Chris, I don't want to keep you too late. I know you got hard work being a house seller tomorrow. <laughs> um, no, you know, it's, uh, I, I just have these two transactions that are like moving because at, um, like when you sell a house, like it's, everything revolves around a timeline. Like you go under contract and it's like either like a 30 day closing, 45 day closing, everything revolves around this timeline, the execution date on the, on the, the contract that you mm-hmm. sign. And I got two under contract at like the same time and they're both 45 day closings. So you have to go through all these different steps when you're selling a house. You have to do like occupancy inspections, you have to do dye tests, you have to do inspections. Um, and then on one of these, I'm the list agent and on the other one, I'm the buyer agent. But they're moving at the exact same clip. Like, so I always have something going on. Like I always have to like put out a fire somewhere yeah with either the buyer or have to put out the fire with the seller like um and you're just, there's a lot of moving parts to it and uh yeah it's it's just two transactions but it's, it's just stressing me out lately <laughs> it seems so like complicated is it do you feel like it's necessary that it's as complicated as it is or it's, is it it's just the the I can't speak to Ohio or wherever people are watching from, but like every sales contract is is different. The the PA agreement of sale used to be one page. That's mm-hmm. it. But then you get into all these legalities, and you you want to make sure that the buyer's protected. You want to make sure the seller's protected against certain things. So now it's a fourteen page document. Um, it seems very unnecessary, but you get lawyers and so you just kind of take it one step at a time and you, just, you get through one hurdle it's on to the next and then if you're lucky you just make it to that that closing table and get paid <laughs> yeah i mean that's why your job exists it seems like because it's nice to have somebody to guide you through it because like can't you do some of that like on your own if you cho- chose to like if i just randomly had enough money to buy a house in cash like could i just go buy it <clears throat> if you I'm could, not saying if, I have that, by the way. <laughs> if whoever you're buying it from will just accept your cash and yeah. handshake, uh, and then you guys can go to a notary or something and sign the deed over to you. Um, yeah, if, if you can, if you can do that. But like, okay, say you move in, you just bought this house cash, and you you did it on a handshake, but then you find out like, oh, the foundation's cracked, like the house is crumbling into the ground. Who do you what do you do about that right you're like uh you can go after the the guy that sold you the house but you didn't sign anything it's like right. no we're, we're buddies man like so now you have a house with a cracked foundation and and no cash left so um it is nice to have someone there is a lot of hand holding involved like you're constantly you know telling everyone that you know whatever party you're working with you're 
trying to keep their nerves calm. Like, what are we gonna get? Especially in the last two years when it was so hard to buy a house because interest rates were so low. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you're out there competing against so many other buyers. Um, so, I'm like a part-time therapist sometimes <laughs> with my buyers, like just trying to keep their nerves calm. Like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. You just always have to have an answer. And yeah. if you don't know an answer, you need to like just find it. I mean, for most people, that's probably like the biggest purchase they'll ever make in their life. And that's gotta feel crazy. Which is, a, yeah, and it's a trip too. Cause like I rode a bike for over 20 years for a living and mm. then I get into real estate and I remember my first transaction, I'm helping this couple buy a house for their family. And I'm like having like a bit of identity crisis where it's like, you're trusting me to make the biggest financial decision of your life. And I was you know, just last year, I was falling down stairs and building dirt jumps. And like, it's like, I can't believe this person is trusting me to like help them through this. Yeah. Um, but you just kind of trust, you know, on what you know, and I always be honest, don't ever like bullshit people. And, uh, and most people can really, can, they can see through the bullshit. Like if, mm. if you're not giving them the correct answer, if you're like, but if you're upfront and honest, if you're like, look, I don't know how to answer your question, but I'll work hard to get it. Most people respect that. Yeah. Huh. That makes me wonder if there's any kind of like translation of skills that you learn through BMX, both being a pro rider, or just what you learn about life and everything in BMX that helps in that side of things at all. You mean like how did being a professional bike rider help me in my real estate career? Yeah. Like some, yeah. Did uh, it? Is there any ways? Or even just because riding BMX teaches us so much about life through all the different experiences we have because of BMX or industries you get insight into? I don't know. I haven't really found the common ground yet. Yeah. Um, like the, the thing that being a BMX rider has taught me to help me sell real estate better um yeah i haven't found that that comment i feel like i could tell you right now what's that i guarantee i mean did you come out of the womb being a super charismatic person or did bmx help you to where you could just talk to anyone and be like friendly with them in a way that helps you move forward because if you're a real estate agent you don't want them to be like where they don't talk or they're not personable or things like that. Uh, that's a good point. I think through riding and getting to travel, um, you meet so many different people. You meet people on planes and in airports and you know, you're in different parts of the world where sometimes you're the minority and you need to figure out how to communicate to people. And, um, you find yourself in some uncomfortable positions that you have to kind of learn right. how to deal with. Um, so maybe that is a, a good way of, of putting that, um, just being able to communicate with people and being likable and, and again, being honest. So maybe that is what I've been able to bring into the world of real estate from BMX. Uh, it's just maybe being a little bit more cultured than, than, uh, you know, some of the other agents out there. I mean, I've, I've had, uh, I've had. I've had clients now from all different walks of life yeah. um, and all the deals are different, but um, I had this one man who was probably in his mid fifties. I uh, didn't have a smartphone. 
uh, still using a flip phone and I was helping him buy a house. So like he was solely relying on me to take him to houses that were in his budget that um, he could uh, see himself living in. Like, so I took him like understand like uh, certain technology that we all take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I need it, when you buy a house, you've got to sign a lot of different documents. Yeah. DocuSign is so easy. Just bam, 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 bam. And just, like, you can sign everything in like 30 seconds. But this guy doesn't have that luxury. So anytime I needed something signed, I had to drive to his house, sit down with him and his wife at their table, explain it, everything that they're signing. They sign it. They initial everything. And then I'd go on my merry way. And then, of course, two days later, I got to get more documents signed. So I'd drive over to his house. It was only about 20 minutes. Sit down with him and his wife. They'd sign everything. Go on my merry way. And then... uh finally we got this we we got to the closing table it was a 40-day closing and this man had worked a normal job he was like a a super at like a an apartment complex or something just a normal job but he's like i've been saving my money for 15 years to buy a house and i he's like i need this for my family i need like we need a place like i can't live in an apartment anymore yeah. And so at the closing table, this guy's like crying and he's like, man, I'm the first person in my family to own a house, to own real estate, to own like own property. Like I'm the first person in my family. And he's like mid fifties and he had, you could tell he broke the cycle of poverty in his family by buying this. It was a super modest house. Um, but he had like a couple kids, his wife. His wife had just survived cancer and like, um, it was like really emotional. I was like, oh, this is like, this is why I do this. You know, I'm helping people. Um, and I know I said before about having an identity crisis, but like when you see like a grown man crying because he's the first person in his family to own, a, a, to live the American dream, right? To own a, a piece of this country. and. Uh, modest as it was, he was like so. He, he calls me now, like every other month, like, "Oh man, just want to let you know what's been going on with the house." <laughs> like, sometimes he complains, but like for the most part, he's like, "He's like, thank you so much, man. You you made all this possible." I'm like, all right, I'm making I'm out there uh, making a difference. So, thanks for letting me share that story. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I mean, that's just that's how you find value as a person in life and in this world, and without moments like that. It's like what you know and having your kids and watching them find their bmx and things like that i mean that's why we do podcasts is talk about real shit that because yeah. we're real people and not just clip machines for the internet with bmx tricks you know like we have depth as people and to hear that from people who may have only ever seen you just as a bike rider is real and that's awesome well thank you brent Absolutely. Absolutely. So, on that note, it's been two hours. I'm going to pee my pants soon. Oh my God, it's been two hours. Wow. Yeah, I need to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and I have to uh, export this as a video so that we can mitigate those internet issues and re-upload it. <laughs> All right. So, thank you. And if people want to find you online, his link's to Instagram is down below and if you're in the greater Pittsburgh area and need a house <laughs> look him up 
hit me up. <laughs> I have a, I have a um, uh, real estate Instagram too. It's just, I think Chris Doyle Realtor. So you can find that if you want. There it is. Pretty boring content, but. Hey, if somebody needs it, that's why it's there. Exactly. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Right on, Brant. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I'll see you next month. <laughs> yeah, we'll do another one in four more months. <laughs> yeah, sounds good, man. All right. Have a good night. You too. See you, everybody.